No, no, it's, it's all right. It's okay, I think. Well, I need to sigh for a second. Just everybody, just a deep breath. Would you just do that? Let it all out. Thank you. That helped me. I don't know if it helped you at all, but uh, um, had the pleasure of seeing some of you in action this last weekend uh, on Friday night. Uh, the Fusion Gospel Choir, made up of uh, a good crowd of hillsiders. Um, Lincoln being our uh, champion conductor. Um, fantastic. Got a couple pictures on the screen. Take a look. Uh, that's uh, the choir in action. Uh, Joel doing a solo. Next shot gives you uh, Wally, I think, uh, with also the gift of enthusiasm. Mayor Stewart was on the organ uh, playing for the, their last couple of numbers. It was off the charts good. And uh, I, uh, I just thought God's face was smiling on Millardville down just south of here as, uh, as Jesus' name was brought uh, and proclaimed uh, again and again and again through a whole evening of song. And uh, I, it was a, a real blessing. So thanks, thanks uh, for all of you who participated in that. Uh, that was awesome. And... Uh, If I'd been really clever, I would have arranged a flash mob, and you guys could have just jumped up and started saying, lean on me. I think that would have been good. Okay, well, forget it. Oh. Yeah, Wally's in for it. I, uh, I, it, was, it was awesome. That was really, really good. Um, into our message. If you were to take a poll, as some people did, and asked, what are the words that is most, are most used to describe Christians by younger, unchurched people, what do you think they'd be? There was a, a study of 15 to 29-year-olds, uh, those who don't go to church, who either stopped going to church or somehow have left it behind or don't consider, consider themselves Christians. When asked, when you hear the word Christian, what are the words that come to mind? Do you know what the top three were that, that, that topped the list? Hypocritical, judgmental, and insensitive. The Barna Research Group did a whole study, and they found out that this is the dominant theme or motif or idea of unchurched people when looking at the church, young people especially. Now, I would say that we could easily become defensive on that viewpoint, tempting to say there, there's got to be something wrong with that. They don't know Christians the way I do. Or then again, maybe they do. This morning, we're going to look at one of the hindrances to following Jesus that most of us probably don't think about a whole lot. In recent weeks, we've talked about some of the obstacles we can have in our lives to living out this life of faith in Jesus. Everything from being too concerned about looking good, about the approval of others, to holding too tightly to our material things and our money. Uh, Angel talked last week how if we serve the wrong God... If we serve any other God but God, it leads to what she described as a nervous restlessness. I like that phrasing. We we know it as worry or anxiety. That's that's where uh, having a a God other than God, that leads to worry. Today we're going to talk about one of the greatest obstacles to us living in God's kingdom life, as in when you try to be God in the life of others. Jesus talks about this with some actually strong passion in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We find it in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, we want to tell you that we would like every obstacle removed in terms of living in your kingdom life. And so we give you permission to speak, Jesus, this morning. Would you speak through your inspired word into our hearts? Uh, would you change our lives so that we might love our, our world and show them Jesus? We pray these things in his name. Amen. So let me ask you, how much trouble can a speck make? You ever gotten a speck in your eye? Um, this week, uh, for this message, I actually kind of took a different approach to my research for this topic, and, and uh, no, I did not hold my sons down and, and put sawdust in their face, although I did think of it. <laughs> uh, it would be wrong. I actually did two things. I, I called a friend of mine who's a, an optometrist, and I, I picked his brain and, and got his, his thoughts on the whole eye and, the, and this matter, and then I also did something I haven't done in a long time. I booked an eye exam. And so uh, Tuesday afternoon, I went on a field trip. I went out to an optometrist, and uh, I hadn't had an eye exam in like 20 years. Like, so, uh, you know, I, no, I'm not wearing glasses today. But uh, they, uh, things are different in 20 years. They actually, like, they have computers now. <laughs> now, they had all kinds of gadgets that I don't remember ever using before, and they did all these, ran me through this barrage of tests they uh, took pictures of my eyes. You want to see a picture of my eye? This is a picture of my eye right there. That's a, it's not a good looking eye. It's kind of a jellied mass that looks a little bit like the planet Mars, I think. It, it's actually kind of creepy looking at this big jellied ball that uh, is your eye. Um, from these tests, I, it turns out that I'm slightly colorblind, as my wife has suspected for many years. Turns out my vision, though, is excellent in one eye. I, I felt like a failure as uh, I, I, my, my less than perfect eye. I was, uh, I, was, I, I was failing that test quite miserably. Everything was kind of blurry. Um, but uh, they did a test that was kind of funny. I, I wish they'd give me some warning on that. If you've had eye tests regularly, you know they do this. What do they put? They put drops in your eyes. What does it make them do? They dilate, which is fine for the first few minutes, and then it, was, it happened to be a very sunny day that day, and I wish I'd been forewarned. I would have brought sunglasses. I could barely make it home. I actually, uh, my son, who's got a learner's permit, I actually let him drive because I thought it would be safer that way. My family, marginally safer. <laughs> when I got home, my family looked at me with my eyes all black. My, dial, the, my pupils were all... They're like, they thought that some alien had inhabited my body. It was great. But with both my optometrist, the one I visited, and my friend, I asked about specks. My doctor friend Dave talked about how irritating specks can be when they get in your eye. Happens 
a lot to people working under cars, if you're an auto mechanic or, or if you're a machine worker and you're working on a grinder. He says how often people that are working with steel or metal and they're, and they're working with a grinder, a, piece of, a tiny piece of metal will flick off and can go right in, in the eyeball. It made me think of the immense value of safety goggles. Like, I want to wear those whenever I'm doing anything like that. A speck apparently can cause great damage. It can scratch the eye. It can make one most uncomfortable. And to take out a speck is a delicate operation because you're working with one of the most vulnerable parts of the body. And it requires this immense gentleness. You're approaching a person's eye with, with steel tweezers uh, I, I'm just loving, some of you can't look at the screen. <laughs> I'm loving seeing the discomfort because it's just aiding to the message if you ask me. It's like, mm. so you guys having these bodily reactions. When you're approaching someone's eye, their head needs to be perfectly still. And, and you need the steadiest of arms. And finally, you gently and slowly retract the speck. What I learned from that conversation is that speck removal is serious stuff. I mean, it requires such great care. And here's the thing. When we're dealing with the smallest of specks in the most sensitive of places in people's lives, we've got to do so with that kind of care. And Jesus, he uses this kind of analogy when he condemned the way most of us go about trying to remove the specks from other people's eyes. Look, you ever had a, a, even an eyelash in your eye? You know, you had that, and, and, and like a, a well-meaning spouse or a parent or a sibling comes at you, let me help you with that, and you're like, you're backing away, get away from me, right? There's, there's something about someone who can look so clearly and intimately and deeply into your life. They see this thing that is there, they're trying to help, yet it is so annoying. According to Jesus, most Christians are trying to remove specks with meat hooks while half-blind ourselves. When we see faults in others, we go right at them. We think we're trying to to help. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Let me help you. Let let me get at that thing. Let Let me at it. I'm good at specks. And then we wonder why a world that knows that it is less than perfect is backing away from us as quickly as possible from whatever Christian help we might give. Here's the lesson. If we want the world to see Jesus, we have to refocus our attention. Refocus it from judging to discerning. Uh, From people who are judgmental and, and judge the world to people who have the ability to discern and bring help to the world. Uh, James Bryan Smith, he defines judging as making a negative evaluation of others without standing in solidarity with them. Did you catch that? When we find ourselves pointing out what's what's wrong with another person, when we find ourselves trying to to make sure that everyone knows that this is wrong, that we're going to take a stand here, that that we're going to be clear here, that everyone gets just, just what exactly is going on. And when we find ourselves pointing our finger at someone, thinking that we're giving so much help, really the distance between us and them should remind us that we're not doing this at all like Jesus. Let me be really clear about this. God alone is the one true judge. God is judge. When we stand in judgment over someone else, when we find ourselves judging someone else, 
We're doing what God alone is commissioned to do, what it, his job to do. Uh, he's the one who judges the nations. He's the one who, who will always do right. He's the judge who, who doesn't just see the, the outward appearance, but he knows what's going on in the heart of a person. In Matthew 13, Jesus uh, is speaking with his disciples. He's telling a parable of, of the wheat and the weeds, of those who are his, his followers and those who have strayed from the path in some way, shape, or form, not doing what they're supposed to do. And Jesus tells his disciples, don't pull up the weeds. For at the end of the day, why? The good and the righteous judge will be the one who will determine who's in and who's out, who is right and who's wrong. As Bible scholar T.W. Manson put it, this whole business of judging others is in God's hands, for he alone knows the secrets of man's hearts. Now, at this point, some of us might be getting a little bit concerned. I mean, I mean, aren't we supposed to judge between right and wrong? Is what we're saying that as Christians, anything goes. I mean, that, that we allow people to live in, in a, a very loose way where, where everybody just kind of figures out what's right in their own eyes. Uh, everyone just figures out what to do in their own minds. Is that what we're saying, that we never take a stand? That we, we never declare right from wrong? Is that what this is about? Aren't we at least supposed to be discerning? Well, yes, actually, we are. You see, the, the difference between judging and, and discerning is, is that judging is really about the way in which we look at a person as opposed to a behavior or a, a way of being. Judging is about deciding who is in and, and judging who is out, uh, who, who's good and who's not. And, and judging in the way it's condemned here is usually done in more of an individual way. Judging is when you put yourself in, in the place of God and you decide or you believe that you are kind of the arbiter. You, you know, that somehow you know God's final verdict on their lives, that, that you're the one to make a, a correct declaration on who's on the side of right and who's on, on the side of wrong in that moment and in all, that, uh, in all of its entirety. Discerning, which by the way is a biblical activity and, and what's commended to us through Scripture is is about deciding what is right and what is wrong. About, about testing the spirits, knowing whether it's of God's spirit or not. And it's usually done in community. It's usually something that we do together. It's when together we seek for the, for the good of the whole body, how we're to live as followers of Jesus. So our lesson for today is if we want the world to see Jesus, we have to refocus our attention from judging to discerning, from being those who who stand in judgment over people, pointing out what's wrong in them, to becoming those who learn how to discern as the body of Christ between right and wrong so that together we might all grow in righteousness and become who God called us to be. How do we do that? I, I'd suggest one of the ways is just follow this text. This text gives us kind of a, a road path on, on what I would call neighborly speck removal. Jesus kind of lays this out really practically. But if we want to become people who, who will help each other, who will help each other grow to be able to identify the faults that stand in our way, the things that keep us having our, our eyes focused clearly on the things of God and his reality and his ways and following him, here's some ways we can do it. Jesus kind of lays it out. First, look past the faults of unbelievers. First thing I want to commend to you is that the text here doesn't talk about non-Christians. It has nothing to say to unbelievers. There's, there's really no place where the, the disciples are told to go to the highways 
and the byways and tell people about the specks that are in their eyes. That's not in Scripture. The focus here is on the word friends, which is also translated as neighbors, which can also be translated as brothers and sisters. The, the Greek word is literally adelphoi. We're talking about believers. The first principle we should be thinking about is that if a person is not a follower of Jesus, it is probably not our business if they have specks in their eyes. It, it's the difference between having my wife come up to me who loves me and knows me and wants to point out a speck in my eye to having a stranger come up to me who wants to point something out and tell me their opinion about how I should see and what I should do. In fact, I think this kind of makes sense of the last part of, of this passage, verse 6, where Jesus talks about putting our pearls before pigs. He says, don't put something that's sacred. Uh, in fact, I would say our judgments are something that are valued and sacred in God's eyes. There's something that we shouldn't just be throwing out willy-nilly. They're discernments. There's something we should be careful in, in the way we dispense. And Jesus is reinforcing this message, don't force feed those who don't want to be fed. Don't give our pearls to pigs. Giving them pearls when they don't want pearls, when they can't digest pearls, is not wise. You don't want to make a pig angry. Don't be throwing our condemnations their way. Think of it this way. If the pearl is, is the news of Jesus, the, the good news that Jesus has come, and, and that the good news, part of that message is how God gives each person a choice. Uh, an invitation to respond to him uh, on their own. And he, he gives that very clearly. That God never forces anyone. I, I love the prodigal son story where God actually doesn't go and, and drag the prodigal son from his wickedness and drag him back into his household. He watches lovingly the roadway, wanting them to come home. Um, he doesn't force them to, do, to be. And so we need to be careful not to be more forceful than our God would be. Um, reminded me of uh, my college days in England. I was going to a Christian college, and um, one of our Saturday optional activities was to go into the local town, town of Lancaster, and, and go to the town square, and we did little dramas about Jesus and about the good news, and we would do these little skits. And after the skits, we were to look out over the audience of people who'd gathered watching us, and if there looked like there was an openness to, to conversation, we would just kind of scatter and go and try and share our faith. In a, and I would say a, a respectful way. Um, I went up to one particular fellow who, who was sitting over by the water fountain, and I walked up to him, and I'll never remember what he, I'll never forget what he said. F off. That's what he said to me, only with more colorful uh, letters in there. And, and I knew at that point that saying any more would be pushing. And I decided to withdraw, just out, out of wisdom. Um, he wasn't exactly in a place where he was receptive to our message in, in any way, shape, or form. Dale Bruner, he puts it this way. He says, aggressive evangelism, aggressive sharing of our faith, I should say, gets converts and counts them, but the numbers of offended are never counted. They're never tallied. Jesus' method of evangelism in this Sermon on the Mount seemed curiously cautionary. Jesus may not have made a very good salesman, how is the gospel going to spread if we don't push it? Apparently, Jesus believes the slower path of personal sensitivity will grip persons more deeply than aggressive techniques. 
I like that line. A, a slower path of personal sensitivity will have a greater reception than, than us trying to aggressively grab hold and drag them in off the street. So first thing, if we just started here, the, the recognition that, that we are, and, and honestly, folks, we are. We are viewed as judgmental by the world, generally. The world has not invited us to bring our views and our beliefs and our, our, our morals, judgments, in application to them. So first of all, look past the faults of unbelievers. And second, look mostly in the mirror. Look mostly in the mirror. Everybody listening should catch the, the humor of the speck in the log. I think of Dan when I think of this passage because he, after I preached in the last many years ago, he used to walk around calling himself Plank Eye. Just call me Plank Eye, he said. But the tiny thing that, that might be in the eyes of the, of the others and the, the huge thing that's standing kind of right in the middle of it. At, at this moment, Jesus takes the, the entire attention and, and he says to the person who is judging, the, the person who is literally pointing the finger and says, that finger is like a log in your own eye. And this points at least to a couple things. One, the tendency that we have is to see things in ourselves or see things in others that are even greater in ourselves. You ever notice that? It's actually kind of wonky. Ever, ever think back on the thing that, that most bothers you about someone else? If you take a moment and, and look back and you think about it, the reason that you can see it, the reason that you have the ability to see the speck in their eye is that you're particularly good with that kind of bark. You got to, you know, I mean, you recognize that tree. You got a whole forest of that growing in, in your own backyard and world, and you know exactly what that looks like. You know exactly what that does. I wonder if you ever had that happen to you. I, I think of this, the, the joys of having teenagers and their honesty with you is uh, I remember a, a time when I, I'm, I'm complaining about somebody who's complaining. <laughs> you ever done that? I'm condemning somebody for their great complaints, for the, that person's always down about everything. You ever notice that? And, and I think for whatever reason, our boys just kind of looked at me with a smirk on their face like, Dad, you realize how ridiculous you're sounding right here? They can see that the very behavior I'm condemning in somebody else is, is, is demonstrated in that very moment in my life. Here's the thing. If I can see it in them, it might very well be true in me. Someone once said, you don't see things as they are, you see things as you are. More and more, as we come to recognize that, that most of our problem is the log in our own eye. And, and, and here's the other thing, nothing is bigger than the log of judgmentalism and, and critical spirit. That, that's the least Jesus-like attribute that we have. I mean, it's really hard to look like Jesus when your face is filled with condemnation. And that log is really clouding the vision of just about everybody. Folks, we should spend most of our time in the mirror, looking at ourselves. As one of the early church fathers said, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. We can't be of help to the world if we're not receiving help ourselves. As they, it's been said many, many times, doctor, heal thyself. And then lastly, look gently at your neighbor. Here's the, the moment of discernment. Notice it starts with, let me help you with that speck. I, I, I dare say, some of us will say, no, thank you. I mean, if you've had somebody come to you waving meat hooks in your face, you might be a little cautioned when you sent somebody coming with a word of correction. 
you've experienced the pain of, of someone judging you at the wrong place in the wrong time. You, I mean, you know what the most common attribute of those unchristian youth who were surveyed, um, they, they were interviewed, most of them at, at one time had regarded themselves as Christians, and they had left the church behind. Well, I want you to think for a second again. I, I, got, I got to see this firsthand this week, but think of the incredible skill and sensitivity of an eye doctor. The, the care and compassion that they take as they approach a person's eye. Um, one thing I learned this week is, is our eyes are basically a ball of nerves. It's the most sensitive organ in our body, and it's made up of nervous system tissue. Ironically, very, very sensitive. Ironically, my doctor said, a speck in our own eye can actually feel like a log. thought it was interesting use of language on his part. And so we need to learn to be gentle with each other, starting with let me help you. Get permission. It might even start with asking someone to, to help you with the log in your eye before you begin with a speck in there. Or maybe you say, you know, this is one of the things that I notice about you because I know that this is so true about me. And when you do that, the whole approach and the whole attitude is just entirely different. The other principle that's relevant to this, it it, uh, goes throughout this passage. If you studied scriptures, you know that that any passage that begins and kind of ends with the same point in in its its message in between is usually trying to tell you the point. Notice what verse 2 says. It says, for you will be treated... As you treat others. And then the standard that you use in judging will be the standard in which you are judged. And then it's summarized in verse 12. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Think about that for a moment. I've had that happen in in my relationship with my wife. Where I've shared something really critical or negative to her. And uh, she's actually thrown it back and said, Listen, would you like to hear what... You just gave me. Would you like that told the same way back? Because that wasn't a very, very helpful way of doing it. That was not good. And it's helpful to have somebody, a a mirror in my own life to say, that wasn't helpful. That was like a meat hook coming at me. And and, and so think about how would you want others to judge you and, 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 and think about that, reflect on that, and use that information to adjust how you then pick specks out of others' eyes. The other uh, principle relevant to all this, uh, pardon me, uh, there's another Christian uh, psychologist, counselor, researcher named Dr. Todd Bollinger, and he was doing a study on living out our faith. And he did a survey where he asked Christians to answer this question. If you're going to to live your life in public, uh, whether in business or in, in public, the public sphere of some time, in government, in, in schools, wherever it might be, what makes it hard for you to do that? What gets in the way? What is your primary obstacle? And he expected to hear that it was the anti-Christian attitude, that it was the judgmentalness of people looking at us as Christians, that it's the, the way our system just doesn't want to hear truth, and, and there's secular humanism and atheism and relativism and all that, But you know what he heard over and over and over and over and over again from Christians? Is that the number one problem I have living out my faith in public is other Christians. Christians who are judgmental, hypocritical, and insensitive. Biggest thing I think we can learn about judging is to connect it to the next passage in Matthew 7 where Jesus goes on to talk about prayer and the importance of prayer. What does it teach us? I'd say this, let our disappointment in others 
drive us to pray. Let it drive us to pray. When you find yourself being bugged by that speck that you see so clearly, well, pray about it. When, when you see someone going in the wrong direction, you know, they're, they're walking down the wrong path, they're stumbling in sin, pray about it. When you find yourself overwhelmed by the reality of evil that might be creeping in, that, that's, that's making you anxious or afraid that, that people are doing wrong or acting wrong or teaching wrong or saying wrong, instead of just rushing out and going and racing to them, pray about it. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you asked for. Keep on seeking and, and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Keep on bringing this person to the Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said that a, a Christian talks to the Lord more about a brother than a brother about the Lord. He talks more to the Lord about a brother than a brother about the Lord. How much do we pray for those who bother us, who hurt us, whose specks we see? And, and do we stand in solidarity with them? Do, do we learn to pray, God, if I, if I see the speck in their eyes, show me the log in my own eye. You know, Thank you, God, for this, this brother and sister who is just bugging me so much that it must be showing something about me. Allowing our prayer life to deepen through our disappointment in others. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever your, your situation, I'm sure there's a, a huge temptation to judge someone or, or something. And if you know me well enough, you know this is one of my besetting sins. I know just about enough of the Bible uh, to, to judge just about anybody. That's, that's the pastor's problem. But this is something I really struggle with. Sometimes I strut around my own home as if I'm the judge. And I know. But this is what God wants to do with us. He, he knows this will keep us from following him. So let our disappointments, whether it be with ourselves or with the sins of others, let our disappointment drive us to prayer. We're going to end a little differently this morning. Lincoln's going to just play a little bit on the piano. I want you to spend some time reflecting on where has God kind of shone his light on a log in your eye this morning? Is there some way that he's been speaking to you today? We're just going to give you some time to reflect and pray. And then I'll close us in prayer. You bow your heads with me and let's uh, listen to the Holy Spirit during this, these moments.
So Lord Jesus, we come before you and we admit we have logs in our eyes. We ask you to help us with our logs, God. We especially pray that you would help us with this log of, of judgment, critical spirit. Lord, Forgive us for the ways we have not been like Jesus to our world and to each other. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. We ask you this morning to put faces before us. Put the faces of those who we see their specks so clearly. God, those whom we're so tempted to judge. Those who might even be wrong those brothers and sisters who were tempted to stand in judgment over. We ask that uh, their faces might be a loving invitation from you to gaze on your face and be changed. Thank you this morning, Lord God, that even though we have logs, one of the reasons we can look in the mirror and face our brokenness face our flaws, face our own sin, and not be ashamed is because of Jesus. Because he went to the cross <laughs> two crude logs nailed together and he bore our guilt, he bore our shame all to free us and to ransom us that we might be right with God. We pray, God, deal with the logs in our lives that are keeping us from you, that we might have every ounce of life that you would love to pour out on us. We pray these things this morning with gratitude and with great hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, again, I want to invite you to, to think about coming and receiving prayer this morning, we would love to pray with you. It would be so good if, if uh, God would break into our lives in this area. And so if God's been speaking to you, feel free to come and, and receive prayer. But would you stand and uh, let's, I want to give you a benediction. Just a few verses from Romans 5. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when you and I were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a good man, a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for you in this while you are still a sinner Christ died for you Amen God bless you